What's going on, Valley family? It's great to see all of you guys today. I'm Stephen Francis filling in for Dr. Greg as we are in week three of our series, Necessary Sins. Now, real quick, I need to make a huge shout out to all of my awesome people at the Poughkeepsie campus. Love you guys, rooting for you guys out there today on Sunday. And also, I need to make a huge shout out to all of our people that are watching online. Thank you all so much for being with us. Now, if this is your first time with us for this series, please allow me to explain what exactly a necessary sin is. You know, many of us are on the same page about certain sins as being wrong. Murder is wrong. Rape is wrong. But there's other sins that we kind of turn a blind eye towards because in certain situations we think they're more acceptable or even necessary. And this series is made for us to figure out what these sins are and to have a better understanding of why God says that they are sins in the first place. But before we get into that today, I want to talk about bad advice. Many of you guys in here have received bad advice before. Many of you guys have even listened to that bad advice. And I'll be honest, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life happened because of bad advice. My freshman year of high school, I wanted to be an actor. And one of my ways of pursuing an acting career was taking on the role of the angel Gabriel in my church play. It was a big deal. I was excited. I thought this was going to be my Oscar-worthy debut performance. So I got the role, I trained for it, prepared for it, got into character, and I prepared all the way up until it came time to do the Christmas play. My first scene was simple but significant. I was supposed to come from the back of the stage and step up on this stepping stool, and I was supposed to look like an angel that was floating in the air, and I was going to tell the actress who was playing Mary that she was going to give birth to a savior named Jesus, all right? So I prepared, I got ready for it, and five minutes before it was time for me to make my grand performance, I realized that the stepping stool wasn't there. So I'm looking around for it backstage. I'm, I have my friend who's also in the play. He's looking for it. And neither of us can find the stepping stool. But my friend shows up with one of these like clothing containers. Here's like a picture of it. You guys know what I'm talking about. This thing right here. And he shows up with this. He's like, listen, man, I got an idea. How about we put you on that instead? And no one will be the wiser as to what happens. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea because that doesn't look like it can hold my body weight. And he was like, listen, bro, this is what we'll do. We'll put stuff in it so it can hold your body weight. And I was like, that seems logical to me. So let's do it. So we put a bunch of stuff in there. I can't even remember what we found. Once again, I was right about to go on. And so we put the stuff in it. We pushed the little container right up to the back of the stage where the stepping stool was supposed to be. And my scene came up. I stood up on that uh, container and facing hundreds of people. And I remember looking at the actress named Mary and I was like, Mary, behold, I come in. And before I could say peace, that joker broke and I collapsed on the floor straight up on the ground. And I knew it was bad because not only did the audience make that huge audible gasp that you only hear in movies, but I remember someone in the backstage saying, oh my gosh, is he dead? Like that was, that was how bad I felt. 
But the real MVP in that moment was the actress who played Mary, who even though she saw me collapse on the floor and they're not sure whether I'm alive or not, managed to still be like, oh, what great news. <laughs> and continued on with the rest of the play. She never checked to see if I was okay or anything. I'm a little bitter about it, but whatever. She did what she had to do. <laughs> I never acted ever again, ever since, just so you know. I, I realized that preaching was a lot more safer to do on stage, so I've been doing that ever since. But the thing about that is, what I thought would have been good advice ended up being something that left me both hurt and embarrassed. And I think the number one way many of us in our culture have been hurt and embarrassed is by listening to the false and bad advice when it comes to sex and relationships. And what we have many times pursued for the sake of love ended up just leaving us in the hurt from lust. And that is what we're talking about today in today's message, the love of lust. Now, before we get into lust and what that is, we really need to understand what the Bible first says about sex. Many people don't know this, but the Bible is a huge supporter of people having happy, healthy sexual relationships. And that shouldn't be a surprise, honestly, because we know that God created sex. Genesis says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he also made man. And when he made man, the first man whose name was Adam, he realized that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he decided to make woman as well. So he makes the first man whose name is Adam, and he puts Adam to sleep, and then he takes from Adam's rib, he takes one of Adam's ribs and creates a woman from it, and that woman was named Eve. And when Adam wakes up after this surgery, in a sense, he looks over, he sees this woman, and he says this in Genesis 23, Genesis 2, 23 to 24. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, has, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, when we read this in the English language, this just comes off as just a statement. But in the, the original Hebrew that this was written, this is actually a poem. Many would even say a song. I like to believe when Adam saw Eve, he created the first R&B single that ever existed. Before there was ever Trey songs or Usher or Luther Vandross or Barry White, there was Adam who saw a woman and made a song dedicated to how he wanted to be with her, all right? So he sees her, and from this time forward, they have a sexual relationship. And that was something that God gave to them, not only as a gift, but as a reflection of his goodness. In fact, the scriptures show that there are six reasons, uh, there's six primary uses for sex. And I'm going to read them off to you. I'm not going to give you the scripture references. You can check that out on your Valley app, but I'm going to go ahead and read them for you here to get together. The first one is pleasure. Sex is good. It feels good. The second is reproduction in children. God said, be fruitful and multiply. The next is knowledge. Sex is a way for us to know someone in the most intimate of ways. 
The next is protection. Not only do we get to know someone in the most intimate of ways, but they are also most vulnerable to us in those moments. And through that, we are able to also keep them safe. It's a feeling of safety. The next is comfort. Sex many times in hardship and in tough situations can, can be a way of giving us ease and, and letting us feel like everything is going to be okay. But also, sex was given for the sake of oneness. Sex is not just something that two people do with their bodies, but in the act of sex, there is also a mingling of souls that happens. And that's why God not only gave us this gift of sex, but he also gave us guidelines on how it works best. And it works best within a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Because all of these things here will be best experienced and fulfilled with someone that you are in a lifelong committed relationship to. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve had. Sex is a gift from God. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. It is God's gift to us from his goodness. But many of us also know what happens in Genesis chapter 3 after that interaction with Adam and Eve. The Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he doesn't tempt them with sex, but he tempts them with this question. He asks them this question, did God really say that you weren't supposed to eat of that tree over there? He was talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve answer the question, no, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it. But Satan tempts them by saying this. He says, listen, in so many words, he says, listen, not only should you not listen to God, but God is holding out on you because he's not letting you do everything that you want. I say you should go eat of that fruit. And when you do, not only will you enjoy it, but you will also have just as much power and authority as he does. The temptation from Satan, the first temptation that man ever experienced, wasn't just to get man and woman to disobey, but it was to question the goodness of God, to make his guidelines for a more fulfilling life appear like restrictions to live life to the full. So we take what happens there, and you guys know what happens. They eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin enters the world, and now we're here where we are now. But now let's take what happened in Genesis into 2016. We're living in an age where nothing has changed. We are looking to have intimacy. We're looking to have meaningful relationships. And we have these sexual urges that God has given us that we want to be fulfilled. And God still has not changed either. He's given us this gift of sex, but at the same time, he's given us the guidelines to how it works best. And that is in a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. But instead of us trusting what God says about sex, we instead have fallen trapped to what the enemy is trying to tempt us to make sex to be. And that temptation, that sin is called lust. Lust, so we're all on the same page, is the realm of thought, imagination, and desire that leads to sexual misconduct. To help you understand it, I'll put it this way. Lust is to sex what greed is to money. Many of you know in here that money is not a sin. Matter of fact, I believe there's scriptural reference that says that you should pursue health and wealth. But we know that someone can take greed and make something evil out of money. 
You know when someone struggles with greed is when they look at people and judge them based upon how much money that they have. You know someone struggles with greed when they are willing to take shortcuts and even use people in order to acquire more wealth. We also know that someone struggles with greed when they spend much time fantasizing about how their life would be fulfilling if they had this amount of money. And the same things that someone would do with money, which isn't wrong, but that idolatry of it is, is what lust is to sex. And we also know that lust shows itself in four specific ways. First way is pornography, the portrayal of erotic behavior designed to cause sexual excitement. Second is sex outside of marriage. That includes sex if you're not married and also sex to somebody that you're not married to, but you are married to somebody else, if you understand what I'm saying, adultery. The belief that you must have sex in order to have fulfillment. Many times in our culture, there's this idea that you're not a mature and, and, and whole person if you're a certain age and you're not a virgin, or, or, and you're a virgin. That, in a sense, is idolatry. But then also, um, lust can be when someone has an over-romanticized view of a certain person or marriage. And this is something that comes about many times from books like Fifty Shades of Grey and different types of movies and entertainment. It gives someone that type of fantasy of a romantic relationship that isn't real. And Jesus had very strong statements when it came to lust. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28. This may not be in your notes, so I'll go ahead and read it. It says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is big for us to understand because I think there's two things to that. First, it shows us that um, our ways are not God's ways. He has a very higher and more deeper sense of what sin is and what can be considered acceptable. But also, you can never commit adultery with somebody unless you already had the fantasy of it in your heart in the first place. Certain actions cannot come about unless we didn't think about those things and have it settled in our mind that that's what we would do. And even though Jesus has these things about lust and how we should avoid it and the guidelines of how marriage should be, many of us, instead of listening to what God has said, has listened to the box of lies that the enemy has tried to give us. Now, I was thinking to myself, what is the best way that you guys can understand what I mean by box of lies when I talk about lust and things of that nature? And I figured the best person that can help you understand it is Jimmy Fallon. Many of you guys have seen the box of lies games on Jimmy Fallon's late night show. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it is a game where there's, I think, maybe nine or ten boxes that Jimmy Fallon and another person that he has on the show plays. They pick one of the boxes and then they sit at this table across from each other. And there's like a partition in the middle with like a window where they can only see their faces. They can't see the boxes. And they pull out what's in the box and in the boxes a variety of different things. And they tell the other person what's in the box or they lie about what's in the box. And the person on the other end has to figure out whether they are telling the truth or not. But instead of you just listening to me trying to describe it, how about we have some fun tonight and we watch actually a quick clip of this game being played out, all right? Check this out. 
It's really heavy. Oh, my good, my back. I can tell that was a faux remark. <laughs> Very nice. It's a plate with a <laughs> with a tiny squirrel <laughs> surfing down on a wave. He's surfing on a piece of lettuce. Can I ask a question? No. You're telling the truth. No! It's fun to watch, but the enemy is trying to play the same game with many people in our culture. And in his box is lust and the destruction of lust that it can have on an individual. But instead of telling us the truth of what lust can do in someone's life, he instead coats it up and he says, you know what? You deserve this. You're single, you're not in a relationship. What you do in your privacy is nobody else's business. It's fine. You can go ahead and sleep with this person if you want to. You may not be married, but you love this person. You want to feel good. And besides, you're probably going to marry them anyway. So what's the problem? Go ahead and do it. Hey, listen, I know you're married, but if that person you were married to was fulfilling all of your needs, then you wouldn't have to go to this. This is just your way of coping with things. With keeping the relationship going. Besides, nobody knows. It's fine. And so many people on the other end of the table debate whether this is true or not. And we know that so many people in our culture have not only listened to this lie, but they promote this lie in their lives. America is without question considered one of the most uh, sexually free countries in the world. And I wanted to read to you some of the statistics that back this up. First is this, pornography in the year 2015 grossed over 13 billion Dollars. To give you context of how much money that is, that's enough money to have the Rio Olympics three times. Seven out of ten men and one out of six women habitually watch porn. This used to be considered just a man issue at one point, but women are increasingly getting more and more entertained by pornography. So all of my parents in the room, the average age of consumers for pornography is 12 to 17 years old. With 9 out of 10 boys and 6 out of 10 girls being exposed to pornography in some way, shape, or form before they turn 18. Two-thirds of our television programming has some form of sexual content. And many of us are well aware through traveling and shopping that there is sex literally on every type of billboard, poster, and magazine wherever we go. 
we love sex in this country. And we know that sex sells, so we use it even more. But despite how popular it is in our country, we also see that it is not making our lives any more fulfilling. Recent studies show, based upon the amount of divorces that happened in the past decade, that adultery has doubled in our country. Every STD has increased in percentage to the point where 20% of the people in the United States will contact an STD and you have a 50% likelihood of catching an STD before you turn 25. And also with this has been the increase in unplanned and unwanted pregnancies that has also raised the abortion rate. Now, I know that I said a lot of statistics, and there may be people in here that aren't big on numbers. So if I can just summarize everything that I just said, it's this. Our culture is in love with lust. And that lust is leaving many of us hurt and embarrassed from that sin. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody in here anyway, because Scripture already said that this was going to happen. James 1, verses 14 to 15 says this, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You can change that word death at the end to void. Many of us are void of intimacy, void of purity, void of trust, void of full spiritual fulfillment because we've allowed lust to invade our lives. And because of that lust that's invaded our lives, even if someone doesn't even know, even if you're married in here and your spouse doesn't know, even if you're trying to pursue somebody and that person that you're pursuing doesn't know about your lust problem, the problem is this, is that you will never have full intimacy, full love, full trust from that person as long as that lust is in the middle of you two creating a further and further larger gap. But the other thing that's interesting about this in James chapter 1, verses 14, is this word here, this word enticed. This word enticed here in the original Greek means hook. The same hook that one would use to catch a fish when they're fishing. Now, many of you have fished before, have seen fishing in the past, and you know how fishing goes. You put some bait on a hook, you put the hook in the water, eventually the fish sees the bait, it grabs the bait, but then the hook gets lodged in its mouth or in some part of its body, and every time that fish tries to swim away, it keeps getting yanked back, pulled back to the fishing rod till eventually it is taken out the water completely. And many of us know this feeling when it comes to the problem of lust. Because what will happen is this. First, we're exposed to some type of sexual thing. Maybe it was a magazine, something on the internet, something on the television. It might have been something that somebody showed us. Unfortunately, for some people in here, it might have been something that somebody did to you. But nevertheless, you were exposed to it. 
And that exposure created a curiosity. You wanted to know more about it. You wanted to feel the feeling again or understand what was happening, what other people feel about it. And from there, you started getting deeper and deeper into it. And then it started leaving you kind of confused because in a sense, you liked it. But also you kind of felt some weird shame or uh, that this wasn't right because nothing else in your life kind of matches this behavior and you feel that if people knew what you were doing, it would be a problem. So many of, us many of us end up at this crossroads where we either listen to what it is that the enemy has said about this subject and just fall into it full on. Or we start to feel the conviction of God and we say, you know what, uh, I shouldn't do this anymore. But the problem is we keep saying to God, God, I'm sorry. God, I repent. I'll never do this again. If you help me, I won't do it again. I'm going to stop. I'm going to live better. And then for some reason, whether it's four minutes, four days, four weeks, four months, however long it may be, we end up back in that sin again, whether it's pornography, whether it's that sexual relationship, whether it's whatever it is that it causes lust in your life. And you can't help but feel like, man, I keep trying to get out of it. But every time I try to get out of it, I just keep getting pulled right back in. Sometimes even binging. That is the hook of lust that we are talking about here in James chapter 1. But there's good news for any person that is in here today. That either is struggling with lust or has even been hurt by someone that does, that has uh, through lust hurt them. The good news is that wherever you are, whatever you're done, whether it's a lust issue or any other issue, there is power and healing and forgiveness and deliverance all in the power of Jesus Christ. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says this, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. God loves each and every person in here. He died publicly for whatever you struggle with privately. And whatever you are dealing with, you can find victory in Jesus to not only meet you where you're at, but to give you the strength to bring you to where it is that you need to be. All you need to do is trust that. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he has your best interest in heart? Because in that way, when we believe that and we walk in that, we find victory over even the toughest of sins. And not only should we trust in it, but we should also find practical ways in order to overcome it. And I believe the best strategy that I've witnessed that helps us overcome the issue of lust is the acronym called Anthem. Real quick, so I know you guys are with me. Say Anthem real quick. Three, two, one. Awesome. Thank you. Anthem first stands for this. A, for avoid. Matthew 5, 29 
to verse 30 says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I know this sounds extremely graphic, uh, but trust me on this, this is not a literal saying. This is something that Jesus said hyperbolically. What he's saying here is that we need to be doing whatever it takes in order to avoid sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6 also says this, that we are supposed to flee from sexual immorality. Many other sins we're supposed to fight, we're supposed to uh, overcome, but this is the one temptation where God has said we are supposed to run away from because we cannot take it head on. So us avoiding the temptation of lust looks different for different people. It may mean that you can't have certain programs on your television. It means that on your computers or mobile device, you have to have certain programs like Triple X Church or Covenant Eyes that help keep those sites from popping up. It may mean that for some people you need to switch gyms, that you need to never travel alone, that you need to learn how to bounce your eyes. And bouncing your eyes is when you may see something that brings up sexual urges in you, but instead of you staring at it and causing those things to grow, you just bounce your eyes. You just keep moving on. It may mean for certain people that you can't read certain books or magazines or watch certain television shows that many people say are popular and entertaining. For certain people, it means that you need to delete phone numbers and photos. And for certain people, it may mean that you need to just break out of a whole relationship entirely. But we need to be willing to avoid those sexual temptations that cause us to fall. The next letter is N for say no to lustful thoughts within five seconds. You don't have to raise your hand up in here, but there are times when we're living our lives, minding our own business, and some type of crazy thought just comes out of nowhere and tries to make us stumble. I, I want to challenge you that when that happens, within the first five seconds, say no. Matter of fact, I'd say, say in the name of Jesus, no, and rebuke that thought from even coming into your, uh, to even playing in your mind that you might end up tripping up and falling back into a certain sin. Say no. The next thing is T, for treasure the goodness of God. I believe the better you understand something, the more you can appreciate how it works and what it does for you. One particular instance in my life is uh, my parents. Many of you guys may not know this, but I'm a first-generation American. My mother and father were born and raised in Jamaica, and they came to this country to pursue uh, uh, great opportunities and wealth for not only themselves, but also for their children. And they worked hard, and they sacrificed a lot in order to achieve that. But I never knew about those things because the things that they worked hard and sacrificed for, I was just already born into. But the older I get and I realize the amount of work it took for them, for me and my sisters to grow up in a good neighborhood, to get great education, the more I not only appreciate them, but I also be sure that I honor them with the things that I do. How much more should we do that with God? Every person in here was born with their sins forgiven. Every person in here was born with easy access to get God's attention. We never had to fight for it. We never had to earn it. We were born into it because 2,000 years ago, God himself came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and died on the cross for our sins. 
But that sacrifice he made is just something that we know about and take for granted. But the more we treasure his goodness, the more we read his word and better understand what it is that he has for us, the more we can walk according to the way that he would have us to be. The next thing is H for honest help. I, I heard this story one time from a pastor, very popular pastor in certain, in certain circles. So I'm not going to say his name. It's not Dr. Greg. Don't worry. But this pastor was talking about that even though he was doing well in ministry, he struggled with the secret sin of profanity. Just because of the way he grew up or his upbringing, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. So him cursing all the time was just a regular thing. And he said it was so bad that he would literally curse before he came up to preach, preach the gospel, and then the second he got off stage, start cursing again. It was a real big problem in his life. He said one time he tried so hard to quit cursing that his wife woke him up in the middle of the night because he was cursing in his sleep. It was a problem. But he said that the day he found victory was when he decided to have a meeting with very specific people in his life. A few elders that had the ability to get him fired from being a pastor, and even some people that had been attending his church for a long time looked up to him and, and thought that he was a great man of God. And he sat all these people down, and he confessed his problem of profanity. And from that time forward, he was able to overcome it because every time he thought about cursing again, he thought about the faces of the people that would be affected by it. But that story not only stuck with me because of how he was able to overcome it, but it also stuck in my mind that people are way more gracious to you when you confess something compared to when you're caught. And when we decide to tell somebody that we can trust, listen, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Listen, I need help. Can you help me get the help that I need? We are better able to find the victory that we're looking for because we can't do it on our own. You are your worst accountability partner. I promise you that. And here's the thing for anyone in here that may feel like, I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want to ruin my reputation. I don't want people to think I'm a loser and I'm a pervert. Listen, there is none righteous, no, not one. And there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If God saw that you were fit enough to die on the cross for, who is anyone else to go above God and judge you for what you've done? So you can find a leader here at the church, you can find a leader in your community group and see if they can help you find the help that you need in order to overcome either this issue of lust or any issue that you deal with, that you struggle with. But the next one is E. Enjoy all that life offers. You know, many of us sometimes can uh, make one particular thing our whole life. A lot of people try to make lust their whole life, sex their whole life, but there are so many other things that God has created for you to enjoy and to be a part of. And it's so important for us to not just isolate ourselves with our struggles, but to be with other people and enjoy what it is that God has for us in community. Whether it's uh, picking up a certain hobby, whether it's being with family and friends more, but developing relationships and, and uh, creating opportunities for us to walk more in the, all the things that God has for us and not just to sit down and try not to lust about something. But the last and final thing is we need to M, and that is move with mission. 
Many times the reason why people fall into lust is because of idle time, idle thoughts and behaviors. But when we take hold of the mission that God has for us to walk in, when we decide that we are going to wake up each and every day with a purpose, we make no room for an opportunity to lust to come our way. One of the ways that I do this each and every day is I read these declarations to myself. And these things are mine. I didn't even put it in the notes. But you can feel free to listen to these and to create your own on your own time. But these are things that after I have devotion with the Lord, I say these things out loud to myself before I start my day. And that's this. That Christ in me is better than the wrong desires in me. That Jesus is first in my life and I exist to glorify him. I love my wife, Jasmine, and I will lay down my life for her. I love people and believe the best about others. I am disciplined. I am growing closer to Jesus every day. My preaching is powerful because it is empowered by God. I develop leaders. I am creative and innovative through the power of the Holy Spirit. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. I bring my best and then some. It's what I bring after my best that makes change. The world will be a different and better place because I serve Jesus today. I say these things to myself and I go out on mission ready to take hold for the kingdom of God and to see people's lives changed through his gospel. And that may be easy for me to do as a pastor because I have those opportunities, but that's the call that God has given each and every one of us in this room. So how much more should we go out and share that which God has for us? Now, my time is up today, and before I do, I want to just ask one final question. Will you trust God or your lust? Many of us in our culture have been listening to what the world says about how we're supposed to pursue sex and relationships for so long, and there are people in here that have been both hurt by it and hurt people from it. But wherever you are today, and if you're someone in here today that privately you're saying, listen, I struggle with this, man. I don't know how to overcome. I don't know how to be better. I want to first let you know this, that the struggle does not mean that you've lost. It means you still have enough life to get back in the fight. And I also want to be honest with you as well, that this situation of lust is not just going to go away overnight. That it's not going to be something that you're going to walk out of here and it's just never going to be a problem again. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be something that you're going to have to take territory over in your mind and in your heart each and every day. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors in him. And we can walk in the newness of life and have the love that he not only has for us, but to have the true loving and full relationships that he has planned for the people in our future. So with that said, let me pray for you today. God, we thank you for each and every person that is under the sound of my voice. And I thank you, Lord, for how you love us and how you have good and great things planned for each and every one of us. 
And God, I ask today for anybody in here that may be struggling with the situation of lust. God, this, this conversation is uncomfortable. God, this conversation is, Lord, something that many times we wish we could avoid. But Father, it's nevertheless something that you care about, so we will talk about it. And Father, if there's anyone in here that's struggling, if there's anyone in here that feels like they just can't get away, we pray that you give them the deliverance that they are looking for, that they find the joy and the power in you that they are seeking after. And from that, they will be made whole. And that they will take up the mission and follow the anthem, Lord Jesus, in order to live true and awesome lives. So much so that when people see their lives, that it may be so infectious that they also want to know how it is that they can live such happy, healthy lives in you and in their relationships. Father, we thank you and we praise you again for all that you've done for us. And we believe that these things are done now. In Jesus' name, amen.